Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are taking in all the action from Palermo, the announcement that the Madrid Open has been cancelled and looking at Rafael Nadal's decision not to play the US Open. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. everybody welcome back to another episode of the passing shot joel and kim here as always and kim suffice to say i know you're giving me a little bit of grief last week with some mustache chat but i mean you can probably see i've just had uh, a trim but i've kept the mustache going yeah you've got rid of everything else i mean you've still got hair on the top <laughs> of your head thank god but um <laughs> yeah just the massage it's very retro joel you've gone really kind of i don't know 80s 90s going on here i'm kind of enjoying the, the look at it in a slightly warped way i don't know it's not for everyone you'll have to update our listeners with a i don't know progress photo each week on our instagram i did put out a vote on our instagram you know who who what did you prefer joel joel's mustache or dan evans's <laughs> mustache during battle of the brits and there was actually a majority victory for joel's mustache oh. so i think you i think you're in the minority kim oh well you know, each to their own. I'm I'm hardly a moustache expert, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we should probably get on with the tennis, Joel. Uh, I'm sure listeners haven't tuned in to listen to a podcast about facial hair. Um, just a note, we are recording on a Saturday uh, as opposed to a usual Sunday because I'm trying to get away for a few days uh, to the South Coast tomorrow. So uh, let's start with Palermo, Joel, because we've got the semifinals going on today. I think we're halfway through the first one uh, as we're recording this, which um, is Martic and Annette Contivate. So the first and fourth seeds going head to head, uh, kind of that's gone very much according to the seeding um, as opposed to the other semi-final, which are two, you know, unseeded players who've made, made, made their way through to that one. Um, have you watched anything from Palermo, Joel? I mean, it's been so good to just have, you know, a, a live WTA tournament back on the schedule. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I know. And I, and like the first day, tennis went on till, you know, past 2am. And I was like, that was the moment for me. I think I was like, ah, oh, yeah, the WTA tour is back playing kind of late nights in Europe uh, with kind of three setters going yeah, into, into the early hours of the morning. Um, but yeah, I have been watching a little bit of it. I think I think this is, for me, this is a little bit of a, a, almost like a soft opening, I think, before we kind of get into the, I think into next week where we're going to see a bit more of the, you know, the heavy hitters in the top 10 back in action. Um, but certainly this, you know, this event has thrown up some surprises and um, it's given us some really good stories as well. And there's been things that I, you know, was not expecting to really be be talking about. You know, the fact that Sara Rani got to her first tour quarterfinal since April 2019. Um 
Sasnovich also again got to the first quarterfinal since January 2019. So it just shows you that some, you know, some players are, you know, players who we may not have even kind of considered or, or thought about maybe if lockdown hadn't happened. Um, you know, they're making <laughs> they're they're making the most of it. Yeah, and I'm I'm interested to see, you know, the players that kind of do really well at like the first tournaments back and are like playing consistently leading up to like the US Open and, and the French Open, if, you know, they are going to do so much better at the slams as a result. Um, I mean, it's actually Italian uh, players are doing, you know, pretty well. They they also had a new kind of Italian player that I've, I've never heard of before, Elisabetta Cocciaretto, if I'm saying that's halfway correctly. She beat Donna Vekic, uh, reached her first quarterfinal. She's only 19, so possible... Italian, you know, future prospect there. Um, and obviously Camilla Georgie, classic player that we all have know and love uh, so dearly, but she's she's kind of fallen out of the like top of the rankings um, for a while. So she's unseeded at the moment, but obviously we all know what she is capable of. She's such a feisty, fiery opponent. She she came through against Yastremska yesterday after having, um, you know, after being match points down. So you'd have to pick her as, as a favourite to, you know, going against uh, Fiona Ferro in the the later semi final this evening. Yeah, I think uh, Georgie has had some really uh, like real battles actually uh, this week in in Palermo, and I think uh, that will help her. I think you know, I think she's had a lot of minutes on the tennis court, which I think will actually help her uh, in her semi final. And uh, yeah, I expect her to come through that. And you know, I think she yeah she'll go on to face Contivate tomorrow in in the final. Who um, oh, for me a little bit surprising actually came through in straight sets against the the top seed um, Martic. Uh, Martic record on clay up to that semi final nineteen and three. Um, so um, you know she has been you know very 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 good. But uh, yeah, Contivate obviously too good on the day. So we'll see how that we'll see how that develops. But I think. Oh, yeah, this tournament has been interesting, not just because of the tennis on it, but also the sort of the fact that, you know, it is this first event, um, you know, on the tour, on the, you know, the WTA tour since uh, lockdown. And there's been lots of kind of conversations also developing over the bubble um, and, you know, some some good, some bad. And I think it's interesting to see that, you know, I think, you know, I think a lot of us think this bubble aspect of kind of housing players is either is completely uh is completely i want to say bubble proof um it's completely kind of um impermeable but i think it kind of shows you you know events like palermo where they're on a smaller scale they won't have the funds necessarily to completely you know shut down a hotel for a week and have it exclusive to you know just tennis players and their you know their entourage I think it shows you that the bubble has to, there's going to be different scales of bubble, isn't there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Donna Vekic was the one that kind of came out and said that, you know, players were not staying in the hotel, you know, as advised. They were, a lot of them were going out into the city, having dinner. You know, she herself did that because I guess if, if you see that everyone else is doing it and you feel like comfortable and safe to go out and have dinner, you, you're going to go and do it. If you see other people just kind of, being a bit kind of less conscious um, and Gasquet as well. I mean, he wasn't very happy with with what was going on, having tourists in the hotel, you know. I mean, I totally understand the tournament finances and them not being able to, you know, to finance it. So it's just the players. And, you know, I get that the players want to go out and experience, you know, things outside of the tennis. And Italy, you know, does have some of the, the lower rates in Europe uh, right now. But, you know, obviously these players have been coming in from all over. So 
you have to obviously be mindful of that. But it's interesting because I think the US Open is going to, you know, obviously they're not going to have tourists staying at those hotels. There will be stricter procedures, I guess. But I mean, they like Andy Murray said um, previously, like we discussed last week, you know, that there's going to have to be some kind of sanctions for, for players who are like blatantly, you know, um, disobeying the rules, you know, especially at a slam where there's so many more players and, you know, their entourage is there. And the risk is, you know, higher in, in the US as well. Just touching on, on Gasquet's comments, because he actually went a, a step further and said, you know, if the hotel basically can't be 100% reserved for players, if it's not possible to do this, he doesn't, he doesn't think the event should go ahead. He thinks that, you know, if you're going to have a bubble, it's going to have to be on you know, full lockdown to the, you know, the outside world. And it should just be, you know, exclusive to, you know, the tournament's use. But, you know, I, I always kind of question whether, you know, that might be possible, you know, for the, you know, the events with, you know, lots of money like the, the US Open. But, you know, for these smaller scale events where that's not, where that's not possible, I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, does the WTA come in? Can they, do they have a fund? I don't know that, that's available that can kind of, you know, help, you know, sort that situation out. Or are we just going to have to live with the fact that, you know, with these tour events outside of the Grand Slams, it might just be the fact that, it's like a it's a halfway house it's a semi it's like a semi permeable bubble where <laughs> you know players are you know players are gonna you know be able to kind of get out and you know do do as they please and maybe maybe the term bubble is not actually is a bit of a misnomer and actually we should be li- focusing less on on that term because i think maybe it's it's getting some people sort of um you know caught up in what what that interpretation is yeah it's like you know the the rules in, in the uk at the moment like you know northern ireland scotland wales and england all have different like regulations and rules and you know it's quite confusing if you've got a different like regulation in, in each different place like knowing what is actually correct or not um but i mean some players are obviously taking it very seriously others less so one player joel who is taking it extremely seriously mm. is belinda bencic who um she was playing at uh like a t- swiss team tournament um and she refused to play against leonie kung who had flown back from palermo um who would you know had been in the tournament um and that's because there you know there was a player who had tested positive at palermo um, and although Kung herself was tested and, and, you know, the result was negative and she was all, you know, given the go ahead to play um, at this event, Benchich decided that, you know, she would rather not. So she kind of withdrew herself from the match as a bit of a protest, if you like. Um, what do you make of that? Is that is that being too, too careful? Because, I mean, if we're going to, yeah. you know, assuming Benchich is, you know, being very, very careful, I you would think that she's not going to be playing the US Open because if she's worried about this risk, then I don't know. The US Open to me would seem like a greater risk than playing against someone who's been tested, ne- and you know, who's been tested and it's come out negative. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because you know this situation is showing you the you know the sorts of attitudes that kind of players have to you know to health and it's it, it feels like Benchich is the first example I've seen of like a player literally so far on one end of the spectrum being like i don't want to 
you know, risk, um, you know, you know, risk getting coronavirus if, you know, a player who even tested negative, um, you know, I step onto a court with and, I, you know, I wonder, if, I don't understand, I don't know how, like, sustainable that is kind of going on from, like, tournament to tournament. I know, because I know Benchich is kind of pulled out of, of Prague, I think, next week. Um, but, you know, it, it's, um, it, yeah, it did caught, caught me, catch me by surprise, but I think it just kind of shows you the, the sorts of, de- there are degrees of how serious kind of players are, you know, are taking this and it's, you know, it's up to them in, in terms of how they, you know, how they, how they want to play it. And, it, you know, Benchich is one of those players who it sounds like she's taking absolutely, she's not taking absolutely anything, anything for granted. No, exactly. And, and, you know, talking about the US Open and players who are, you know, taking various degrees of risk. And, you know, we've, we've obviously had the announcement, you know, prior that, you know, we had the likes of Ash Barty and Nick Kyrgios who are not going to be playing it. Um, since our last episode, obviously Rafa has come out and officially confirmed that he's not going to be playing, which I, you know, I think most people had assumed that that was going to be the case seeing as he you know, exclusively being Worst kept secret in tennis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if he was just doing it for suspense because, yeah, it didn't, didn't hide <laughs> any. Um, and we've also had on the women's side, Splitalina and Kiki Burton saying that they're going to skip it as well. Um, so, you know, some, some well, that's two two of the women's top top 10 um, gone. Um, you know, I mean, it's going to be on both sides a depleted draw, Obviously, Federer's also out. Uh, Stan Wawrinka, Monfils. Um, gosh, who else is there, Joel? Um, there's been some other other guys who have who have withdrawn as well for various reasons. Some I think are you know obviously injured anyway. Yeah, Fognini. Fognini, yes. Um, so it's again, it raises the question of: Is this going to be a tournament with a massive asterisk <laughs> beside it? Yeah, it's uh, it's a really tricky one because the you know the entry list came out and since then we've been seeing a trickle of of players announce that then you know they're not going to play and I think you know like three four days in after that entry list was announced you know we're already seeing pretty pretty big chunks of um, you know players at the top you know at the top. You know, in, the, in at the top of the rankings, kind of, you know, pull out, and there are still some sort of undecided, uh, you know, will they, won't they scenarios. Namely, Novak Djokovic hasn't committed as of yet. Simona Hallett, it doesn't feel like she's going to be playing, but that's not necessarily been confirmed either. Nor has defending champion Andreescu, who there was all sorts of conspiracy theories around when uh, when the US Open announced uh, on Twitter uh, the the women's singles entry field. Uh, her her photo wasn't part of the uh the infographic so uh, you know it there's there's still a lot of uncertainty and i think you know the, the more of the more of these quality players don't play as you said the the bigger the question becomes is how what's the integrity of the u.s open is this the u.s open b team and you know and i was kind of trying to think back to you know examples of of grand slams that have happened recently where you know, where the, the field may have been depleted a little bit. And, you know, do we kind of talk, you know, do we talk as much about that? And I kind of go back actually to the 2017 US Open where you might remember, Kim, Nadal won it, but Murray didn't play, Djokovic didn't play. And I don't think San Vavrinka didn't play either. And they were both the two finalists from the preceding year. And um, Rafa went and won it. He had a very comfortable draw all the way through to the final. I mean, he played Del Pocho in, in the semi, but he only dropped one set in the whole tournament. Um, and, 
you know, I guess there is a question there. On, we don't really talk about that one. It's like, oh, that should have had an asterisk because, you know, three Grand Slam winners didn't didn't play it. But this feels a bit more, I think this is, a. I think we're a bit more kind of aware of all the top players kind of pulling out. And, you know, that's that's going to have an effect, isn't it? Well, as a Rafa fan, Joel, I quite enjoyed the 2017 <laughs> US Open. So uh, I don't think I'll enjoy this year's US Open so much. Um, yeah, I guess it's, you know, because of in light of everything that's going on, it's it's like much more of an emphasis on it, isn't it? It, it reminds me of, I don't know if um, you're into F1, but like years ago, the the American Grand Prix, because of the tyres, I think the Michelin tyres were like really dodgy. So literally like 16 cars you know, after the, the start finish, um, you know, after the warm up lap, they literally just went into the pits and like boycotted the race because it wasn't safe for them to to actually drive. So there were like, I don't know, only six cars on Bridgestone tyres uh, racing. And it just, it just reminds me of that. This like mass walkout of um, players could potentially happen in like the next week or so, um, depending on what, you know, final decisions and, and such like. I mean, it's a shame because I'd like to see a high quality tournament and I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure it still will be full of great tennis. But I mean, would you say that obviously Serena Williams goes in as like a massive favourite, but then, you know, even in in her other slam losses of late, she's lost to kind of players that you would think she should be beating. Um, so I don't even think it would make her like a dead cert for the title. I think for me, I feel like someone like a Sophia Kennan could well could go and claim her second slam because I feel like American players are going to be, you know, they haven't got these fears about um, yeah, having no. to fly across continents. You know, they're already based in the US. I think maybe they're a bit more bit more relaxed I, I just feel like this is going to be a great showcase for like American tennis uh, players like especially on the women's side um, I, I don't know Daniel Collins, Fear Kennan, Sloane Stevens, that kind of vibe that I'm getting I feel like we, we could see a winner from certainly from the US. Yes yeah, it is uh, that's a good point I think you know the, the players who are already going to be in in America and and not having to change their you know routine so drastically could be you know in a better setup and you're thinking you know the Americans um they're going to be you know suited to the the situation it's interesting i think that you know i think there's going to be more players to come in terms of who who is going to pull out and I don't know if you saw the other day, but there were reports of a secret a secret meeting on the ATP side with the top 20 players kind of threatening to boycott um, around the fact that they don't want to be quarantined when they go over to Europe. And I think that, you know, we spoke about it in the last podcast. That is the biggest, that's the biggest question at the moment because, you know, these players are not going to want to take two weeks out of their, squ- their schedule to quarantine, you know, if they want to play... Uh, you know, Rome, for example. And, um, you know, this all, it sounded like it all came to a head this week where the ATP, US Open, top 20 players um, all got onto a, a call and just kind of, you know, had a, had a discussion. Um, and there's not really much more known, known about it, but, you know, it sounds like there's still so much uncertainty around, you know, players who are, who, who are in. And I think it's going to take something like, a mass exodus in one go, like a, dare I say, like a boycott to make this, this event untenable. And I think that's the only, that's the only kind of time that's going to happen. I think if we're going to get a trickle of players kind of keep kind of going out, we're still going to, I still think we're going to get the US Open. Yeah, I mean, we've got also the likes of Andy Murray, who, you know, was given a wild card, but because of the withdrawal 
uh, from another player. He's now in with a direct entry, so that's great. Um, I and mean, this will be a really good like test for him, possibly. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that he expects to get to like the semi-finals where he would have possibly played Rafa or something, but maybe just knowing that actually there's more of a chance for for you to go further. And, and Kleisters as well. You know, she's got a wild card. I'm really excited to see what she's going to be doing. Obviously, she's been playing world team tennis. I mean, the players must; these players must be licking their lips, of, you know, with every sort of, you know, person, uh, you know, one less threat, kind of, uh, mm. you know, taking themselves out of the, you know, out of the picture, and you know, it is gonna, it is gonna throw up surprises. I, you know, I don't doubt that, and I think it will be, it'll be fascinating to see who who comes out on top, and you know, I don't want, you know, it'll be interesting to see how. You know, history does look back on this tournament and, you know, whether if we're seeing first time champions, whether we're going to, you know, tarnish that as, oh, yeah, but you won it in the in the times when, you know, three players out of the top them didn't play. So can you really say you won it? I don't I don't feel I hope, I hope it doesn't sort of tarnish that sort of, you know, those special memories that, you know, these players might um, you know set themselves up for, because it certainly feels like it certainly still feels like a, a world, a world, world west where, you know, anyone, anyone, all comers could come on and and lay claim to the the US Open crown. Yeah, I think um, in the women's side, you know, we've probably already seen more slams where people have won it without having to maybe even face top <laughs> 10 players. So I think certainly for the men's side, if someone like a team or Tsitsipas goes and, and wins it without possibly playing anyone from the big three, I think in their case, it would be a bit more like, oh, but, you know, um, but I don't want to, you know, I think if they've, one seven matches at a grandstand that is still a massive achievement and you know to take home like your first slam title so we will see what happens um we're just going to take a quick break now after the break we're going to talk about the madrid open being cancelled uh we'll look forward to lexington and prague and we'll also be talking about why mariano puerta is back in the news see you in a mo So this is The Passing Shot and you're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to a new game, Joel, um, which you've got for me and for our listeners to play along with. It's called You've Been Served. I'm, I'm loving the title. <laughs> yes, this is our this is our game that we've been playing over the last couple of weeks where we're going to give, well, I'm going to give you this time a category and you're going to kind of guess how many correct answers you can give me and uh, listeners can play along as well. The title has been up for debate over the last few weeks, but yeah, we have settled on a name. We ha- we're going to be calling it, Kim, You've Been Served. Are you ready to be served? Isn't there a game show called You've Been Served? Oh, no, no, no. It's Are You Being Served, the, the comedy show. It just reminds me <laughs> of that. <laughs> but yes, anyway, on another, I, I digress. Yeah, I'm completely ready. Uh, go yep. for it. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. My question for you is there are seven male players who have won the French Open, not named Rafael Nadal since the year 2000. Oh. Can you, can you name them? Yeah. Or how many of them, how many of them can you name? Oh, okay. Do I have to guess how many I'm going to get right? Uh, yes. Okay. I'm going to say six. I think I'm going to get six right. Ooh, okay, Ooh. I was wonder- I was wondering <laughs> if you could have, if you dared to go, 
dared to go 100%. We've never had 100% correct. I've, I've kind of dangled the carrot out there to I'll go six you. out of seven. I'm not feeling oh. very confident today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, is it since 2000? Yeah. Okay, right. So, okay, Novak Djokovic. Correct. Stan Mavrinka. Correct. Roger Federer. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, now, the year before Rafa, was it? It was Correa against Gaudio, wasn't it? But Gaudio won, didn't he? Gaston Gaudio. Okay. Correct. Yep. Gaston Gaudio is on the list. Uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero. I'm sure he won Ooh, it. Very good. Okay. Yes. Ferrero did uh, win the French Open. Um, I want to say Carlos Moya as well. Did he? Carlos, Carlos yeah, sure Moya. He He's got like one slam, hasn't he? Carlos Moya is incorrect oh, no. did he get to a carlos final moyer. Carlos, moyer is, <laughs> carlos moyer is not on the list i'm afraid Damn. okay um, um thomas johansson kim no what? thomas oh, johansson no. is he, not on he did win a slam not on the list the AO. so oh. so confident and you're oh, no. you've, hang on uh, how, I thought this how was, many have i, I got this four easy. <laughs> i got no uh, i've got five you've got, you got five you've got five there are two there are two left arguably albert costa no. Very good. It's yes. Oh, I should have said yep. him, not Carlos Moya. What was I thinking? <laughs> and the seventh one, uh, um gosh. Uh do you know the seventh one I would have said was probably the biggest name outside Agassi. of Federer, Fabrinka, Djokovic. Not Agassi. Agassi oh. won it in ni- nineteen ninety nine. Oh, um uh, this person I think won it three, three or four times. Oh uh, Giga. Quirton. There you go. Oh, gosh, Quirton, yes. Gustavo Quirton. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So those were your, those were your seven. Those <laughs> were your seven. Thomas Johansson. Well, I, I he mean, won really? A slam, though, hasn't he? Really? Or has he not? Was he in our list of never to win a slam? <laughs> I don't know. This is embarrassing. Oh, well. Oh, my word. Um, anyway, let's move on to our mailbag feature um, <laughs> where we have listeners questioning us. So we've had a lovely... Uh, Lovely question from Amisha on our Twitter page. Um, the question is, Joel, who can carry the mantle for tennis as a global sport once Rafa slash Roger slash Novak slash Serena retire? So Ooh, who, who's it going to be? Who are you predicting? Uh, Malik Yaziri. Um, <laughs> no, no um, it's got to be. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, and also, in all seriousness, uh, uh, if I was looking at one player to carry the mantle for tennis, I think I think it's got to. I know this is going to be an obvious answer, but for me, it's got to be Dominic Team because this guy, you know, he just loves playing tennis and he plays tennis at every single opportunity uh, every single event he could seem to get his hands on and you know he's he he doesn't really get injuries he's got a fantastic game that's easy on the eye you know I I love his um, single-handed backhand Um, I think he's the closest we have to you know Rafa Rafa Nadal on a clay court so you know when someone like Nadal does retire I think you know if people have like some sort of void on where to get their clay court tennis fix, uh, you know, Dominic team, I think is going to be number one there. Um, and I just think, yeah, I just think he has, he's very kind of, he's got very much kind of, he's a well-intended, I think he's got a you know, clean look and I'm, I know he's kind of had some missteps in, in the past, um, you know, 
with the Adria Cup and all that sort of stuff. But I think, you know, in the future, I think we're going to be looking at Dominic Team as as the guy who is going to take the mantle from from these players. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to deny that, I, you know, going from, you know, those sorts of legends of the game to someone like Dominic Team, it is sort of, you know, going from, you know, to the, you know, almost kind of like to the pretenders. But I think that's, <laughs> I think, you know, for me, he's in, he's at the moment in the probably the best, uh, you know, on the men's side anyway, in the best position to, um, you know, to, to, uh, to, to to take the baton. Okay, interesting. I I I see where you're going. I think tennis wise, yes. I I'm not sure if team captivates like as big a fan base as maybe some of the other Ooh, next geners. Okay. For me, I think someone like Sitsipas. I just feel like I mean I'm looking at it from a commercial perspective. Like who's going to sell tickets and like put bums on seats and who's going to be mm. like the best marketing prospect for the sport. And for me on the men's side, I was thinking maybe Tsitsipas. I feel like his image is a bit more like exciting. Cool. And- yeah. Um, but I mean, also, I mean, for, for the women's side, I, you know, I've got to say like Coco Goff, you know, she's like a big name already. and <laughs> She's not, you know, even what she's, she's like 16. Um and I mean, I'd like to see, you know, someone like Halep um, win many more slams and become, you know, a bit more kind of well-known and famous, I guess, like globally, because I feel like everyone is still very much in Serena's shadow. Um, so for me, yeah, Goff. And then perhaps the Andreescu's of the world. Um, I mean, Osaka as well. Obviously, she's signed some massive deals, um, like sponsorship deals, and obviously is massive over in Japan and Asia. So I think on the women's side, for me, there's more obvious, you know, contenders, but then obviously I think that's a natural way of looking at things because in the men's side, you know, we've had these like three massive names and it's, it is going to be hard to to fill that gap. Yeah. And it might be interesting actually, because it feels like, you know, that, that mantle has been shared over the last 10 years by, you know, Rafa, Roger, Novak, supported by, you know, Murray, Vavrinka. And I wonder whether in the, in the future, it maybe is almost like a little bit of a role reversal. And it's, it feels like the women's side at the moment is perhaps better set up in terms of having that shared responsibility across, uh, you know, a variety of players, like, as you said, Andreescu, Goff, um, you know, there's a lot, it feels like there's, it, it can be shared there. Whereas, you know, I don't, I don't think as much at the moment. I feel that on the, you know, on the men's side, and maybe that's why I've I've gone literally for one person. I think you can just pin it on Dominic Team because he just has a he just has a smile and he just gets on with it and he just plays tennis wherever he wants to. And that can be his like tagline or when when he's getting out <laughs> for like the world finals, like introducing Dominic who just gets onto it. <laughs> Oh, just get on with it team rather i don't know it's just funny um but yes uh thank you very much for that question uh let us know listeners if you've got any more because we do love to have a little you know question and answer session um let's talk about some of the other tournaments that were due to be taking place in the next few months joel uh obviously we mentioned madrid a bit earlier but it's actually has now been cancelled um which is a real shame uh for for, you know, for fans and players alike, you were looking forward to it, but the Spanish authorities have decided that it's just not, you know, it's not safe enough. You know, Spain have seen a, a big increase in the numbers of people testing positive. Um, so it's just too much risk to stage, you know, a big sporting event in, in the capital city. So that's, that's gone. Um, as a result, I think Rome, you know, the Italian Open 
could potentially be expanded to take on a larger draw. There were um, debates and they're kind of looking into whether they can go from a 64 to a 96 players uh, draw, which is going to be a lot more kind of um, organisation involved, a lot more costs for the tournament. So I think we'll we'll know more about that uh, in the coming weeks to see what they finally decide. And and the interesting thing there is the Italian Open. Although it sounds like they're they're interested in the idea of it's not an instant no um, of expanding the draw. It sounds like one of their um, stipulations for that happening is that they want to open up the tournament to to fans. Otherwise, they're just going to be making a loss from from what it sounds like from the the tournament organizer. So, it will be interesting to see how that develops and whether we will see the Italian Open as a tournament that is played with with fans in a crowd which would be you know which would be great because we know the Italian Open the 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 main court there I forget what its name is the for, is well, it the Colosseum is it the Colosseum yeah, yeah it's the well the Foro Italico is like the name of the site um yeah but, the but it's like, it plays out like a Colosseum doesn't it yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah, it's kind a very, of I mean it's a lovely sleep. tournament um but I think also it was only for the men's that they were looking to expand it not the women's um event so the, the women's side would stay at 64 players, I think. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen exactly what will happen. Um, but Italy, you know, as we said before, they are doing much better with their stats on the virus, like le- much less um, cases per day being reported. So, um, however, you know, there is the rule in Italy that anyone coming from the US, you know, would need to quarantine for two weeks. So they would have to, I assume, make an exemption for, you know, sports people, because otherwise, you know, if you win the US Open or, you know, you get to the latter stages, you can't play in Rome um, prior to Roland Garros. So we'll see where where that leads us uh, in, in due course. And then, you know, coming up, uh, starting next week, we've got Lexington and Prague, WTA events. Lexington's a new one, Joel, uh, going out yeah, to Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, exciting. <laughs> uh, but it's a, quite a good field, isn't it? Serena's playing as a Renka, Venus. Sloane Stephen. Really strong. I mean, really strong crowd. I think they've got four Grand Slam champions in their main draw. Mura Troglu's gone over. Uh, he's literally had to get four flights, I think, four <laughs> connections in order wow. to get to in order to get to uh, Lexington. Um, but yeah, I mean, they. I I would not have put Lexington on Serena's Williams schedule at the start of the year. Um, but you know, here we are, and you know the the organisers certainly for Lexington will be absolutely buzzing with the the field that they've been they've been able to put together. Um, I love how the tournament is called the its official its official name is the Top Seed Open, presented by Bluegrass Orthopedics. Uh, you know, it just just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Um, and that could be a new game, like guess that where this tournament is located, just <laughs> by the, like the sponsor's name, you know, rather than calling it the place name. Um, yeah, I mean, we've also got Prague, uh, which is kind of what well, Simona Halep has, has signed up. She's going to be the top seed. Uh, we've got Petra Martic. She'll be going there from from Palermo. Uh, we've got Von Drusova, Sakari, you know, Stritzkova, Rabakina. So lots of names in this event um which is this is also a new event right i don't think we've had prague before um but it's great that they're you know doing a tournament there because it's a, it's a great city um and i'm assuming that well is pliskova playing as it's her home her home player 
uh, her home tournament and Kvitova. Are they are they there? No, they can't be. I feel like people who are playing here, particularly the Europeans, uh, it might be a sign that they're not going to be going over to the United States. A lot of people talking about Simona Halep and the fact that she, you know, is you know, obviously she had that drama about pulling out um, of Palermo, but it, it sounds like you know some Europeans like Halep are just going to be comfortable and only comfortable playing in you know on their home continent, and they're not comfortable with going over to, to North America. And, um, you know, the fact that Simona Halep is, is going to play Praha, Prague, which is on a clay court, suggests that potentially, you know, she's just going to be focusing on, you know, on working up towards the, the French Open as opposed to kind of going off to the, you know, the hard courts of, of the United States. Yeah, I don't think Blitzkrieg is playing. I'm just, um, I'm so hot, Joel, while we're, while we're recording this because <laughs> I've turned my fan off so it doesn't like whiz away on the recording so I'm like literally like I can't think straight um but no we'll be um well I'll be tuning in to Lexington and Prague to see what what goes on I'm especially interested more in in Lexington I really want to see how Serena does getting back onto that court and I think she was just in Mm. her her press conference today and you know she's saying like she's she's being really really careful for the last six months she's literally been completely isolated um and you know she's obviously very much looking forward to US Open, but she's going to be doing it as strict as, as she possibly can. Um, so we will see how she gets on back on court. Um, and just another bit of news to kind of finish on, Joel, a bit of sports doping, which although it's, I guess, quite a negative topic, I find it really fascinating. I'm, I love reading about um, all the kind of doping scandals mm. that go on in the world. They all seem to come out of nowhere as well. Like we, we didn't like we didn't necessarily need this news, but it just kind of came up, um, you know, from from South America, uh, as you do from uh, Mariano Puerta, who you know a lot of people will remember him for that uh, 2005 French Open final uh, where he lost to Rafael Nadal. I think that was Nadal's first French Open. Um, but yeah, he effectively I think got uh, banned uh, or he tested positive um for a banned substance and he effectively lied to reduce his sentence to go down from eight years down to two years yeah he said that basically he'd been talking with his lawyers uh, obviously at the time to come up with a defense and he had said at the time that the substance um I think it's called etilephrine, etilephrine, if I'm saying that correct. Um, He said that it was in some medication that his wife was taking and that he then drank out of the glass that she'd been like having she'd been using to take this medication in but anyway it's all come out that that was just a fabrication um and that was like falsely created by his lawyer um who's now died um a couple of years back so i don't know what has made where to come out now to sort of finally tell the truth has he got, um, a, book? Has he got a book coming out because that, well, that generally does it doesn't yeah, it yeah <laughs> i mean or it could be an interesting you know documentary or it could be a podcast you know um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he said the origin of the drug was actually um these pills that a friend of his fitness coach had prepared for him um and he said that he never met the person who made the pills and never knew their name so doesn't really have any more info on that it all sounds a bit dodge uh and i think he's just basically come out and said like don't do anything that puts you in a position like this like um don't trust anyone else or delegate you know these things to other people like don't just take random substances from people you don't know um but yeah it's it's an interesting uh, development and um and I think also, I think it's 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 too late now for anything to be done about this, you know, now that he's kind of come out because the statute of limitations has passed so that they can't really, 
reopen the case um, or, or anything like that. Um, but it perhaps, you know, brings us on to other doping scandals in tennis. Obviously, we have had a few in recent years where some players have got kind of six month suspensions. And obviously, I guess the most famous one would be Sharapova. Um, but back in the 90s, we had, you know, Andre Agassi, who, um, you know, he came out in his autobiography many years later that he had been taking crystal meth. Um, and he he never faced any sort of retrospective punishment for that. Um, and I think there's a lot of hoo-ha, isn't there, and controversy, like how much did like the ATP know about kind of a possible doping going on in that in the 90s before the the world anti-doping agency was set up um like i think certainly back in the days there was a lot less kind of protocols going on so i mean who knows what was going on yeah it just felt like completely kind of old world and yeah we're obviously now in a completely new world but it's it's interesting to yeah to hear these stories puerta sounds like a transformed man you know coming out kind of saying Mm. you know I've, i've realized now that you know i shouldn't you know shouldn't have done you know what i did but um you know the fact that we hear you know hear these stories it's it's kind of um you know it's it just shows you that they they you know they do happen and um people can you know i guess people can get caught up in you know in the moment and you know competition and kind of striving to be the best i guess um and you know you know they'll go to extreme lengths i guess to you know to to make that happen and you know whether that's kind of lying or coming up with defensive strategies um is is one way to put it but um uh yeah it's it's all it's all come out now it's like uh was it uh robert farrah he tested positive for a substance last year and Mm. said it was from some beef that he ate in in colombia or yeah but i'm not always have these these stories sorts of stories (laughs) yeah i know i mean I, I'm not saying whether that's a, I'm not saying that's a falsehood or, or anything, but I, I you know it's, it's just to, to a, you know a jury or something it might sound a bit weird, but um, yeah, that remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, that that's it for today. I think Joel. I think we'll be back um, next week with updates on everything in the tennis world. Yeah, we will, and uh, yeah, and we will be back next week. We will be taking in all of uh, Lexington and Prague. And who knows, maybe there'll be some more US Open controversies to talk about as well. But in the meantime, uh, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode of The Passing Shot. If you uh, are, have been enjoying us, remember to subscribe uh, to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yep. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So do let us know if you've got any comments or questions. And remember, you can also email us as well. uh, Passingshotpod at gmail.com. Yes. And uh, we'll, of course, be back next week with another episode of The Passing Shot. And I hope you can catch us again shortly. So, Joel, today is a very special day. And do you know why? Because my mustache. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's someone special's birthday, and it's not mine. I'm not being big-headed. I know who's. It's Roger. It's Roger Federer, isn't it? It is. How old is? How old is he? He is the grand old age of 39. I think I'm going to have a barbecue to celebrate. 39, and he's still playing pro tennis. That is. I mean, that is incredible.